Um, do you have a joke, Graham? I unfortunately do not. Oh, me neither. Uh, do you have a fun fact? Statistic? Fun fact or statistic? Oh, no. Um, Give me something to work with, Graham. Uh, um, let me think. Sure, Bloodborne. Bloodborne. Bloodborne came out in 2015, didn't it? That's correct. Okay. Um, there are eyes everywhere. Is that a joke or is that a is that a fact? I guess that's a fact. That's a fact about Bloodborne, I suppose. That's yeah, true. It's true. Um... <laughs> we really should have prepared this better. Are we gonna go with that one? Uh, we can. We can. We can try that again <laughs> if we think of something um, interesting about Bloodborne. I mean, I guess. I guess the joke about Bloodborne would be like, I guess. I mean, it's been so long since you played it, but like, like Rom, Rom the, the, the spider, kind of a joke of a boss. I died to him a couple times. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure I did. All the stuff I read is that he's like the easiest boss in the world. I don't remember, honestly, like, because it was so long ago that I, it was only like two years ago, but it's it's been it's been a while and I I don't remember. Okay, I've I've I'm making an executive decision. Okay. Bloodborne, typically a, of a disease or pathogen carried by the blood. It's an adjective. Do you know what? Until now, I hadn't even thought about the fact that the title was a word. <laughs> you know what? I'm looking. Uh, you know how like Google, um. Um, like tracks the the popularity of certain words. Okay. Oh, it, I thought it was going to become more popular, but it's but it doesn't. Huh. It's, never mind. They don't have statistics past two thousand eight. Really? Oh well. Wait a minute. Can I go two thousand eighteen? Search lots of books. No, nothing. It might be looking for it like within stuff. So, yeah, search in Google Books. That's what it. Interesting, but the first instance of the word looks to be about 1875-ish. That's cool. It kind of fits with the the whole aesthetic of Bloodborne. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should play the theme song now. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Okay, let's do that. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the uh, Velvet Room Review. I almost forgot the name, but I didn't. Uh, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to be talking about 2015's PlayStation 4 exclusive, Bloodborne, if you hadn't already guessed from the opening. Um, Graham, what did you think about Bloodborne? Bloodborne is a great game. It's... uh... I think it was one of the first games I got for the PlayStation 4, um, and I I really enjoyed it. It's got such a cool atmosphere and like really engaging mechanics. I tried playing Dark Souls before and after it, and I just could not get into it the same way as Bloodborne. You know, it's interesting. When we first started the podcast, we did up a list of games that we were wanting to review, and Bloodborne has been on that list since the beginning. Yeah. And it's probably the longest name on the list. Um, and I'm so glad that we did finally get around to it um, because it is an amazing game. It is probably one of the best games I've played so far this calendar year mm. um, in 2019. And it's actually really interesting, Graham. About two hours ago, I was like, I'm, I'm still feeling the Bloodborne itch. So I'm going to load up Dark Souls 2. Okay. And I, I can't really just well i did i only played for like half hour 45 minutes but the level of difference in just the general feel between bloodborne and dark souls 2 really shocked me um because these games were i according to wikipedia like developed concurrently with at the same another. time really 
Yeah, according huh. to Wikipedia. Because, well, Dark Souls 2 came out 2014. This comes out 2015. Okay, so yeah. there's going to be some overlap. And while I went from Dark Souls to Bloodborne, you know, many years later, there are definitely the Soulsy aspects of the game. But, for example, um, healing in Dark Souls 2 takes forever <laughs> compared <laughs> to Bloodborne. Um, and it's it's just interesting now that for me, going back into Dark Souls 2, I find myself being more cautious, more defensive, um, retreating more. Where in Bloodborne, the the combat's a little bit flipped, where you are kind of almost rewarded in being aggressive. Yeah, you are like rewarded because you get your health back with a really great rally mechanic. Yeah, because it because you as the player. I love the mechanic so much because you as a player have a split second to decide, can I get an attack off in time or should I get the heck out of here? Mm -hmm. You know, because you have maybe five seconds or probably less than that. It depends to to get back health that you lost when you got hit by an enemy before that that time runs out. But you also have to weigh into into the fact, okay, this enemy's attack patterns. What's the timing on that? Because if I charge up my attack before and he hits me before I hit him then i'm dead so it really also encourages you in that sense to learn the attack patterns of all the enemies and the cues so that you can kind of innately get a sense of the timing down um it's actually um kind of interesting like a couple classmates of mine did a study recently okay um where they like showed what did they show? They showed a symbol, like for in terms of measuring response time, they showed a symbol when something was about to change, like if someone's going to attack you, or if it's just pure animation, or if it's no, there was like no signal. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the anim- the animation was slower than having it... Um, just be like a symbol to pop up and show you. So like, think a uh, Spider-Man for the PS4. Right. Uh, you just, you see the symbol and you know to hit the button. Right. But animation, it takes you a significant amount longer to process what is happening. Um, mm-hmm. Not, not like game changing, but like it, it's enough to, like you almost have to predict what they're going to do. Well, that's precisely it. Right yeah. with with Spider Man, right? You hit circle, and you dodge. But l- with with Bloodborne, okay, so you you can see they're coming to attack. So I need to figure out: Do I roll away? Do I jump back? Do I try and hit him first? Do I try and parry him? Like you have all these options of dealing with enemies that mm-hmm. you really can define your playstyle. Some players are more cautious, and they get in, they attack, they back up. They get in, they attack, they back up. Some people like to parry all day long. Um, I myself, I wasn't too into um, that level of play. I, I very rarely parried, just because I wasn't really a big fan of the guns. Um, so, parrying yeah. when you when you get it, it just feels so good. It does feel really good. It looks so cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I think I I, I have a I'm kind of wrestling with. Um, this game, like other Souls games, have co-op and multiplayer functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, in particular, makes it... I would say it's the easiest. I haven't played Dark Souls 3, but it's the easiest method of summoning in help, um, particularly summoning in your friends, because there's this whole password network, uh, this password for the world. Um, and so I played the majority of the game in co-op oh interesting um i actually made two new friends so that was kind of cool um so um i i just kind of feel like did i really get the true experience or did i get a different more um i don't know what streamlined i guess i would just like diluted i easier experience i I mean definitely like I definitely feel like it would be easier, but you continue. Yeah, well, it's like 
I, I would agree, you know, because um, obviously I had people helping me in, in the sense that, like, one guy was pretty good. He let me lead and would only ever say, like, hey, maybe don't summon in the NPC because it's going to double the boss's health. Like, that was, like, the one tip he gave me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had another guy who I was doing the Chalice Dungeons with, which we'll get into later, but he basically was like a tank. And he's like, yeah, just follow me. And we kind of, he was basically doing all the killing. Like, I would try and help, but by the time I got there, he would kill everybody. Okay. Which was, which was fine. I didn't really mind. Um, so I kind of got, like, two instances of, you know, no no guidance and, and guidance. Um, so, but at the same time, when I think of, um, when I think of, like, Dark Souls and the Soulsborne games, I, 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 I think there's just this innate fear of isolation that just kind of resonates with me of okay. like, I'm alone in this fight. And so being able to summon in help in that sense, um, I guess took away some of the um, agitation that I would have felt playing Dark Souls 1 or like apprehension even. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, I almost... So I had, um, no, let me think the, yeah, like I found that with Dark Souls one, I definitely hit a wall and then I just kind of stopped and I didn't have access to the co-op. Um, and it's actually interesting to note, um, when I first played Bloodborne about two years ago, um, I didn't have PS plus. Ah. So I actually played through the whole game single player. Okay. Um, and then just for the listeners, um, Matt and I played through the uh, the majority of the DLC together in multiplayer, which was actually my first multiplayer experience with that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was. Um, it was. It's very. It's very good. Straightforward DLC. The bosses were really cool um, oh yeah like the Probably first some of my favorites yeah like Lud- like ludwig um they were able to portray in like this horrific beast like this almost melancholy emotion mm-hmm. um and like he's he's like horrific to look at but he has human emotion like you can see the emotion in his distorted face so i thought that was a really that one in particular was a really interesting boss battle very noble spirit. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it kind of um, reminds you of like the tragedy of, of the hunters, and I think we'll we'll probably get into the plot a bit more later, but um, it was a lot of fun doing it together because you Graham were in New Game Plus, so um, when I went into your world, I was you you were like well at level ninety five near hundred. I I ended up I started around ninety ninety five and I ended around 120 okay okay so um when we were playing together i was probably um 140 and up so what the game does in in this instance um where i'm higher level than Graham, it scales my stats back particularly my health back Mm -hmm. to kind of level us out a bit more but Graham was playing on new game plus which meant everybody all the enemies health was higher than it normally would be there they were stronger than normally would be so it was this really challenging um way to play the dlc for the two of us together it was almost like hard well it is essentially hard mode but even harder because i'm being summoned in and weakened and then the bosses are getting more health it was fun um but because i was playing you know just vanilla first first playthrough when graham came in I think, Graham, you made the comment that you felt really overpowered. I did feel, like, very strong. Especially, well, compared to my own game, I felt right. a lot stronger. Right. Because, like, the enemies would do... I know my health bar was smaller. Like, you get reduced by 30%. But it's still, they were doing, like, a tiny bit to my health bar. Whereas, yeah. in the original, like, in my game, they would do half of my health bar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I will give give the game credit. I feel like I mean, d- the Souls games kind of get like a bad rap for being like stupid hard, stupid difficult, blah blah blah. I don't really know that I would agree that they're like overly. They're not unfair, for the most part. I would say every enemy in this game is fair, and totally beatable. 
through practice and and um, determination, except for the frickin' brain suckers. And exploitation. You can totally... Uh, the brain suckers, really? Oh, they... Honestly, they almost... They gave me so much trouble. Particularly in Upper Cathedral Ward. Right? Um, so... That one bra- section with the two of them in the there, one room? There was a couple of them. Um, yeah, so... What was so frustrating to me about that is that they 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 have the ability to freeze you, like freeze you in place, and then they come up and grab you, and for at, at that time they they took away seventy five percent of my health if they grabbed me, mm-hmm. and and that wouldn't even be necessarily a problem, but what they do is they also drain you of all your insight, and insight is a material which you use to call and help. So very quickly I was out of insight, and unable to. Um, get any assistance um and of course then i have to go oh i got the grind for souls to get blood vials and so it was like this this tiny little section of the game ended up being like three hours of my entire playthrough and i'm not even joking Uh um until i finally was able to summon somebody in and uh he got the key for me like he, he summoning somewhere completely different got the key and then i was able to open the shortcut simply by running past everybody and that to me was a little frustrating because like nor like yeah do you do that eventually when you when you figure out all the um where any placements and the pathways sure but i didn't really get to fully explore the area just because i was getting i, I was really getting upset <laughs> upset huh. because it was constantly like i would go in um and sometimes you know i'd, I'd wreck i'd wreck the first brain sucker then the next five times it would destroy me then the werewolves would get me. Then I'd wreck the werewolves and like almost get the last brain sucker. It was just, it felt really, that enemy in particular felt unfair. Anything that I feel like that A, will freeze you in place and then also come up and put you in an, a stun lock animation, <clears throat> which then also knocks me down. And then they mm. attack me when I'm down. Like it's like three stun locks in a row. Um, so I was getting really frustrated, but I would say, I, I can't think of any bosses that felt way stupid, overpowered. Um, but well, I would say with the exception of maybe Gascoin, but I fought Gascoin in like, like two years ago and I, but he sticks out in my mind as being like really, in, a really intense battle. He was pretty tough. He's the first, I'd say like, he's the first big wall of the game. Absolutely. Um, like if yeah. you can get past Gascoin, you can usually get through the rest of the game. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about Gascoin, as well as other enemies in the game, is that you're basically fighting yourself. And I really yes. like that. There are a lot of enemies in the game that are other, that are other hunters, which is what your player character is. And so Gascoin is um has I think he has the same weapon as you. He can shoot you. He rolls like you. He moves like you. But then when you get him to half health, he turns into this great werewolf beast. And so it's like, it's real. It's a really intense fight that's like zero to sixty the whole way through, um, and it's really it's to me one of the most memorable fights of the game, and I played it two years ago. You know, no, I agree. Um, yeah. So um, it's also got like a bit of, like there's a little bit of story build up to it too, or like there's the potential for a bit of story build up. Like, did you meet his daughter? Um, I did not. But I, I've, I've since done my lore research. Um, I guess do you want to start getting into the story? Yeah, we can do that. Okay, why don't you continue with your Gascoigne? Uh... Yeah, like he's he's mem- like he like you said he's very memorable. He sticks out. He's the first boss that you see of a cutscene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that whole transformation. He's probably the first hunter that you see, too, isn't he? Um. He he's probably the first hostile hunter. Like I think you might meet Eileen the Crow before. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, you can 100%. meet him. You sorry, you can meet her in the sewers. Right. Yeah. Um. You know the story is something that I've kind of grown to appreciate in that like it's very rare to have a game tell a story in the same style of these kind of from soft games where a lot of the story is left up to interpretation or it's vague or it's 
it's in the item descriptions it's story that you have to seek out and buy into Mm -hmm. and i think that in a way makes the story more powerful because there's both this air of mystery and then when you figure out the story it's you that's figuring out the story um it's kind of like a detective game kind of in a certain sense i I, one thing that i like about bloodborne is that the story that is presented is not really like it's it's not this huge expansive lore no It's, it's essentially hey these guys wanted to evolve their humanity and their understanding of the world and they did some stuff they shouldn't have done which caused everybody to turn into monsters like yeah that's basically it that's the story in a nutshell but you could totally like you could and i probably did i played through the whole game not really picking any of that up like i picked that up afterwards when i was looking into the lore and reading a bit more about it right yeah um and actually that's kind of the way i almost prefer to play the souls games because i i I like um learning about you know things that i've noticed or or interacted with or encountered um after the fact like oh i didn't realize gas coin was related to this you know Mm -hmm. section of people or or this or that um and i think just the way it's almost like maybe this is kind of bold to say but it's almost like that's from software's secret sauce is how they present a story. Um, it's definitely a major element of their games. It's, it's interesting. I was when reading through the lore, um, the creator um, of dark souls, demon souls and uh, the director of bloodborne his last name is Miyazaki. Um, Hideki Miyazaki. That's the one. Uh, there's a T in there somewhere. Hidetaka Miyazaki is his name um anyways according to this youtube video he grew up in a i mean an impoverished home so he often spent times at the library and he was trying to teach himself english so he would ring a lot of, read a lot of english stories but not know all the words so what he had to do was you know pick and choose like pick and choose basically what he could read and then use his imagination to fill in the gaps hmm. which ha- would has led to this kind of sense of like the story is not presented to you in a traditional way you have to a seek it out and b piece it together because you know um a story might be told between a cutscene, uh one line of dialogue from this random npc and an item and they all relate to each other but you have to seek them out and read them figure them out and put them together in in, in a sensical way um mm-hmm. and i feel like with in my memory of Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls is 1 is very expansive. There's a lot of motivations behind people that are kind of, um, what's the word, subtle or kind of undefined. Where with Bloodborne, it, it, it's, it's a bit more of a simple premise, um, yeah. but still interesting. Like, and, and you don't get all the answers. Like, there's just not all the answers there, um, which, I, which I really like. <laughs> It's a surprisingly like compact story when you look at the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I liked um like playing the DLC. It was cool because it almost um there were a few unanswered questions at the end of Dark Souls not Dark Souls, Bloodborne. Um that the DLC actually kinda tied up really nicely. Like why the like at least that's what it like kind of how the hunt conclude began mm. um like why people started why the curse happened that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. of the whole the fishing village and which was very kind of lovecraft lovecraft-esque um you know i watched a couple of the body video videos yes. on it he's so good he's so good it, he, he puts a lot of quality into his work yeah i would definitely recommend him just look up Dark Souls or Bloodborne lore, and he'll be one of the top names out there. He's really good. Yeah. Um, well, that's another thing uh, that I love about Bloodborne is that, like, from the promotional material and the first, what, three hours of the game, you're basically just fighting, like, 
werewolves. And so you kind of get like, it's like that Victorian um, lichen horror um, game. But then as, as the game progresses and things start to deteriorate, there are these, like you said, Lovecraftian creatures that are really quite terrifying. And there's like ghouls mm. and there's brain suckers and there's these big um, like alien creatures that are hidden. Um, there's just such such a variety of different creatures and enemies um, that you would not be expecting right out the gate. Um yeah, I forgot how like grotesque the game can be sometimes with those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's I think I knew that going in that some things weren't all that what they seemed. Mhm. But it still was it was still a cool experience. Like seeing Absolutely. like like learning more and is that kind of the premise of the story actually kind of complements, or the storytelling method complements the story because it's all about eldritch unknowns of like you can't fully comprehend something. Mm-hmm. And that style of broken storytelling kind of complements that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the game, like, I, I have to give them credit because like again i don't know if we can quantify it we probably can't but they they resin from software has games that resonate with players um definitely i'm a big trophy guy right so i look at like for example for bloodborne i believe 22 percent of players have the platinum trophy for this game that's huge which is which is huge not only that the thing that that kind of blows my mind the most okay is that the secret ending, the most difficult ending to obtain, mm-hmm. is the most common one, according to trophies. Hmm. So the people who play this game really get into it, right? And and uh, there are three endings in the game. So there's one where you just where you don't fight any final boss. That's the least popular, or that's the least common. Yeah. Then there's one where you fight a boss, and then there's one where you have to find three items throughout the game consume them all before the end of the game and then there's a secret boss at the end Mm -hmm. and i think that's like a testament that um people care enough to to seek that out and want to witness it to get that full experience um yeah so um i should i should preface i'm i'm i use my trophy website um to get that 22 percent um basically People who sign up for the site own the game, platinum at 22%. Across all PlayStation Network profiles, 5.7%, which is still... Oh, okay. Which is still pretty substantial. Yeah, um, for trophies. Ab- absolutely, um, if you ask me, uh, for a game of this nature. But um, here, I'll look up Dark Souls as well, because it's, it's got a similar situation. Um, but again, it goes to show that uh, um, people really enjoy these games and and play them. Like Bloodborne's not necessarily a very difficult platinum comparatively. Um, Dark Souls itself is very. There's multiple playthroughs you got to put into it. Um, it's a bit more complex. But even Dark Souls, Dark Souls has 6.2 percent across all PlayStation. Um, network ids for P- the ps3 version of blood uh of dark souls yeah which that's really impressive um for a game that that totes its difficulty right um mm-hmm. and that's like a that's like a good 60 to 70 hour platinum really of, yeah yeah if you know what you're doing three playthroughs three full playthroughs wow yep so um again i just from from that standpoint i think that when i see something like that like it, even Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man's a, it's an easy or platinum, but it's also got a very high percentage. On this website that I use, 50% of all players have the platinum trophy. Hmm. 10% across all PlayStation IDs, but 10% is high. Yeah. Like you got to think that if you, even if it sold like a million like it sold more than a million copies. Absolutely. 
But even if it only sold a million copies, that's... A hundred thousand people did all yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, some some games are really, really simple. I wouldn't say Spider-Man is one of those, but, you know, it, it shows to me that, A, people finish the story, which, you know, it's surprising how many people play a game and don't finish it, myself included, but also then want to complete the experience 100%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as a big trophy nerd, that's cool to me. But Yeah. <clears throat> so, Matt, I'm curious, did you ever try other weapons other than the axe? I know the axe was kind of your favorite. Um, I did use uh, Ludwig's Holy Blade, um, but uh, I kind of went between that and the Hunter's Axe um, probably early game, early to mid game. But then I discovered and taught myself how to um, upgrade spin to win. Upgrade the weapons. Also, there was spin to win. But I also learned, oh, I can upgrade this weapon. And um, oh yeah, it became kind of like a resource management thing where I just wanted to upgrade the um, axe as much as I could. Then I would update the blade as much as I could, and also actually I went axe, um, Ludwig's rifle, and then Ludwig's holy blade. Um, in terms okay. of leveling up. So I didn't really use anything else other than uh, the axe. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. I, I, I just liked the way it played. I, I think it's a good two-handed weapon solid all around. So, um, yeah. Spend a win, baby. <laughs> that is fun. Um, I, I used the axe for a good chunk of the start and then the saw cleaver for a bit. And then... Oh, yeah. Eventually, I got into the holy so- the Ludwig's blade, and yep. it's that kind of carried me the rest of the game. It's pretty good. It's very good. Um, one thing I do like about this game, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like with Dark Souls, upgrading weapons is a bit more nuanced. It's a bit more complicated, um, and like infusing weapons and stuff like that. This game, I feel like, made it a bit more simple. Totally mm-hmm. missable. Totally missable, but more simple. Um, it, with the runes, you know, giving your stats, special stats like that, the blood gems, all these little things that, um, weren't too like ambiguous. It's just, oh, I, I get, I understand the stats. I can see, you know, what, um, is better for me. And then I can also adjust my play style accordingly. So, mm. um, I really liked the way they, they implemented that, that it wasn't like, something I had to take 10 minutes going over my best options. It was clear, concise to the point, and I knew the benefit that I was getting. Mm-hmm. So they seem to like simplify the stats. Which is good. Manner. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I have something to admit, Graham. Okay. Um, for about 90% of my playthrough, I did not know how to emote. Okay. Um... Which is really funny because everybody who summons into your world always emotes you to say hello. Yeah. And I had a couple people who like bowed to emote me and I didn't know how to emote back and then they left. Oh. <laughs> so I would like, I would make up my own emotes. Like I would run around in a circle, I would roll around and then kind of by accident I discovered, oh, that's how I emote. Um, and I was determined, I was like, should I just ask somebody? And I said, you know what? I'm too embarrassed to ask anybody how to emote. So I didn't. Um, but then I figured it out finally by touching the left side of the touchpad. Yes. Not the right side of the touchpad. No, that was what was throwing me for a loop. Um, I forget. I forgot that they have those two different functions. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. In, in Dark Souls 2, it's the exact opposite. Or sorry, it's not quite the exact opposite. But the touchpad is the inventory and the options menu is the emote menu. So that's for a loop. But yeah, that would be confusing. Yeah. You know, I would, I would frequently go to emote to you and then I would open that like inventory menu by accident and have to switch over. It's kind of mind boggling one that's there. If you ask me, it's like a second quick menu almost, which I I don't don't mind it to be honest. Cause then I put, I put stuff like the, um, the handheld lantern. Oh yes. Um, yeah. And the the bells in there. Oh, that makes sense. 
So stuff that I didn't need to, and uh, the bold hunter's mark. Right. So stuff you won't necessarily need to use um, in combat. In combat. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you didn't do any of the chalice dungeons, is that correct, Graham? I did a couple of them. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so I, I have enough experience to talk about them. I think that might, those might be the highlights for me. Really? I really enjoyed their inclusion. Um, I liked that it was a bit more linear combat based. Um, I liked the... I like that there was set dungeons, but also random dungeons, um, and and permutations that are still being discovered. Enemies that were being discovered like years after the game had come out. I thought that was really cool. So that's neat. It is. That's, uh... Well, it's such a it's such a smart way of adding like what forty extra hours content extra content for like. I'm assuming it was a lot of work, but, you know, not a lot of work. And it made sense in the context of the lore as well. So it's like this basically co-op multiplayer section of the game. Or single player. Or single player, if you want it to be. That's totally optional. Like, you do not need to touch it at all. They mm-hmm. don't force you ever to do it. But it's there if you want to. No, it's a very bold, it's a very bold design decision to do that. It's... It's kind of neat that they decided to try to have a little bit of replayability aside from just doing a new game plus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. Um, just yeah. One thing, speaking of new game plus, like we've, I was thinking about it when you're talking about uh, the equipment. Um, one of the things I was kind of looking forward to with a new game plus was being able to use the different kinds of equipment. But I found that like because you have to upgrade like at the end of the game, they kind of expect you to have a plus 10 upgraded weapon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then when you start the new game plus, that plus 10 weapon is basically the equivalent of a, a plus zero weapon. Right. Um, but it meant that I wasn't really able to experiment with other options without getting them all ready to like a plus nine. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, like I wanted to try stuff like the, the Whirligig Saw. Um, that I got in the DLC, which I did upgrade. I upgraded that, but there were other ones that I was like, hmm, I'm not sure if I I'm going to enjoy this playstyle or not. It was hard to gauge, yeah, without um having the damage numbers to accompany it. It's it's unfortunate that there's not like a middle ground between first playthrough and new game plus. That like you instantly go to new game plus. You can't go back from new game plus. No. Um, I wish they could. I'm not sure in Dark Souls 3 if they do this. I wish they could maybe allow you to stick around in your world afterwards and make the choice to jump to New Game Plus instead. Um, that way you can effectively experiment with other weapons, upgrade other weapons, you know, before going up to New Game Plus. And like you said, basically, your best weapon's now okay and all your okay weapons are now trash comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. There was an interesting thing of, um, like, because a lot of the weapons in the game are, you find them in the late game. Um, yeah. It, it's kind of interesting because I, I wanted to try out, like, these different weapons, like the burial blade, which you get at the very end of the game. Yeah. Like, it's the very last weapon you can get. After um, the final boss, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, I wanted to try that, but, like, I didn't have the right build for it. Um, so if I wanted yeah. to make, if I wanted to even see if it was a feasible option for me to run with, I would have to play through the entire game again. Yeah. With a specific build in mind. Yeah. Probably leveling up stats that you have never leveled up before as well. Yeah. One souls are the most, or your leveling up is the most difficult ever. <laughs> so, I mean, the one caveat to that, I guess, to this issue that you, you'd face, Graham, is that... The Chalice Dungeons don't increase in difficulty based on New Game Plus. So you, oh, could, okay. you could do lower level Chalice Dungeons and experiment oh, I hadn't thought with of that. weapons. Yeah. Um, but that wouldn't solve your problem necessarily about the Burial Blade you know, being locked out. Um, no, but... Based on your attribute, so... But at least you'd be able to... You'd be able to play with... Like if I wanted... Like there was a couple weapons I found during the... 
during the DLC, and I was like, "Ooh, these look these look really cool." Yeah, yeah, well, um, yeah. Like I pulled out one. It's the it's an amygdala arm. And I pulled oh, you, it out. I didn't find that one. I pulled it out in your game, and I hit one of the fish guys with it, and it did fifty damage. And I said, "Well, my other one does three hundred and fifty damage, so I'm gonna go back to the axe now." Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, but again, new game plus. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or just play through the whole game again. I mean, to be honest, you and I got through like the first quarter of the game in like an hour. Well, we did two bosses. Okay, two bosses. But like we got to the fir- to the end of the first act. I guess so. In like a a good I played an hour probably on my own and then we played an hour together. Yeah. And then we hopped so, to the DLC. Yeah. Yeah. Um do you think like uh kind of switching back to the story I think the game tries to um kind of ch- challenge the players um biases a little bit as to whether you're like a good guy or if you're like a bad guy. And okay. Most notably, I don't know if you recall, in old Yarnum there is a hunter on a Gatling gun. Yes. That Henrik. will shoot you. Uh is it is that Henrik? Henrik? I think you're thinking of somebody else. I thought that was and I know who you're Yeah. I think Dernick? we're thinking of the same guy Jerja or something like that. Yeah, okay. I just I just watched the video on him last night. Oh yeah, Henrik is the he's the one that Eileen Cor- fights. Correct, correct. Um, and his dialogue's all about like, hey, I'm not gonna kill any more beasts because you know what? All these beasts are are actually just people, and they're not doing anything. They're just they're just living, right? And so I'm gonna try and stop you from killing them. I'm used I used to be a hunter. I am no longer gonna hurt beasts, and I thought that was kind of like an interesting um, stance to take because in a way he's right, but in a way he's wrong. And and it got me thinking a little bit more about like, oh, you're a hunter and you're hunting beasts. Um, and, and we call it, and they're like vile creatures and these animals basically. And it's like, but you are going into their place, right? Like you are seeking them out to, to kill them. And mm-hmm. I thought that was just almost this kind of like, I don't know if it wasn't intended, but it's like an analogy of like poachers and, and real life hunters like going into the forest and and killing animals um, and then animals like attacking back in self-defense almost um, hmm. and being seen as like beasts, you know, like or like, um, yeah, like beasts basically like 100 years ago, like they're crazed beasts and they're they're primitive and they just attack. Right. But really, like you are the instigator almost yeah no i could i could see that it's almost like like this thinly veiled like social commentary i'm not sure that's necessarily what like their primary oh yeah was but yeah i can definitely see the argument for it yeah well it's interesting because like the the earlier sections of the game like the um the main bad guys like they have sentience and so they're, they're like, and they they perceive you as the beast. That's part of um, the bloodborne illness that um, yeah. anyone who's not infected, you know, looks like a beast to them. Well, so, so but they look like a beast to us. So it's kind of like, yeah, uh, like, it's like, are you, yeah, like you, you're the one who took the blood infusion too. So, right, right. So, but yeah, I thought it was a little interesting because there's definitely enemies that, um, make a point not to attack you like rom's one of them for example um mm-hmm. uh in the dlc there was a bunch of those um patients that were destroying us um that don't attack you at all no you can you can talk to them yeah i always kill them though oh <laughs> well a lot of them seem to be in pain yeah no um actually body video did a couple videos on the dlc that were really cool i uh, like, watch those yeah i would recommend it kind of it's like the old hunters almost ties like it puts a bow on the story mm. um what with like the the fishing village was kind of that's where it all started 
like with the the Bergenworth scholars and right when they found the tombs, mm-hmm. yeah, and they found costs, right, yeah. yeah, um, did you ever do Arthur's quest line? Remind me who Arthur was again. So Arthur, um, he is a, an executioner, and he is the one that first tells you about Kaner's castle, yeah, and asks you to seek it out, um. And he's like this posh, kind of like proper um, knight almost. When you first meet him, he, he kind of gives you a little bit of the background. He, he's more of like an expositor on Bergen, Bergenworth and about Canehurst and about um, the Healing <laughs> Church. And he's very friendly. He's he's very friendly. And basically, um, you can go to Canehurst, which is a, uh, a castle where... Um, the vile bloods lived. The vile bloods, who are like the sworn enemies of the executioners, um, and you can once you clear it out and you um, you can you can meet the queen of the vile bloods and then tell Arthur where she is, and then he will show up and basically pummel her into literal like bits of flesh, yes. because she's immortal. So the only way to kill her is to do that. And so when you go back and you and you, you see him after he's done that, he is like crazed. And yeah. he's like like a, a psychopath almost. And it's this really interesting contrast because it's like who is the real Arthur almost. Hmm. At first I was like, man, this guy's like I thought I was doing the right thing, but then when you hear him like cackling and and like cu- like drenched in blood and and flesh and like there's blood just everywhere. It's like and he, he describes what he does to her in this like maniacal way. It's almost like it was a reminder that you can't really trust anybody. No, it was kind of the that's the curse of the the beast at play there. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't remember I'm pretty sure that I also told him and then showed up and there was that horrific scene. Yeah. It's yeah. spooky. It was. I think I just kind of like slowly walked away afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. One thing that's interesting is um, the enemy there. Uh, I don't know if you remember Martyr Logarius. Yes. He is actually an executioner. So he's he's there to stop you from accessing her, the Queen of the Vilebloods. Yeah. That's why he's a martyr. And if like... I didn't pick up on that at all. Like, and he would almost not pick up on that because like he, he has a, on him like a, a crown and you need, you need to wear the crown to access the area where the queen is. And so at first I thought, Oh, he's the king to this queen until I did more research later to determine, Oh, he's really there. He sacrificed himself almost um, to ensure that no vile bloods ever reach the queen. Yeah. And so I, I, I really enjoy that the bosses in that sense have those little pieces of lore as well. They're not just like these fiendish, fiendish enemies that are there because we need a boss. Like they have, there's a reason that they're there most yeah, of the there's, time. There's a purpose for a lot of the bosses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, no, they do a really good job of tying literally everything together. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Graham? No, I don't think so. I think we've... Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's important to note that Bloodborne is a PS4 exclusive. So yep. if you'd like to play, you'll need a PS4. But I would absolutely recommend this game. Um, it just got put on the um, PS Classics, I think. Yeah. I mean, you could probably pick it up for like 20 bucks, which yeah. is, you know, a very, very good price. Um it holds up very well for being a game that's over four years old now. Oh yeah, um, and it's almost—I would say like it's a—it's a must play. I think it almost surpasses Dark Souls as like the Souls game to play. Yeah, I'd agree. And like the DLC is a really good addition. Yeah, it 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 does it doesn't feel like additional content almost. It feels like like it fit, it fits so naturally with the rest of the game. Yeah. Um. It just feels like another little side plot like Kanehurst. And it fits it fits in well and like you said, it ties characters and, and 
the lore kind of together there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what rating do you think you would give it? That's a tough one. Um, speaking of ratings, I had somebody ask what our rating system meant. Oh, um, boy. Uh, and so I thought, like, oh, man, what was the episode that we... Um, it might have been the first one. I think it was a few in. It was a um, few in. So I think we should go over that again to um, explain what exactly our rating system stands for. So um, I might write down, like, to I... write something on the website. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, I've got I've got a list here. Just a minute. Let me check my notes. I'm not just slipping random pages. I am actually looking for it. Okay, I've got it here. I also have the Mass Effect versions as well. I've got them written next to each other. Wait, really? Yeah. From what I guess. I, did... I guess when we talked about Mass Effect Two, because I got Ashley on here. No, it's Mass Effect One. I've got a Ashley's next to the Fox. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so our our main scale is made up of um, seven characters from the Persona 4 Golden Game. They're your friends, um, and we and we're not necessarily ranking them best to worst necessarily. I guess we sort of are, like our favorite to least favorite. We kind of had come together on a list, but the way we rate a game is based on how well that particular game fits with that particular character's personality. So yeah. it's a little bit exclusive in that sense, where you would need to play Persona 4 to fully understand it. But you should or be watch the anime, or watch the anime, which you should totally do, um, because it's great. Um, so we have Chie. Uh, I I have her at the the lower end of the list, and she is um, this kind of kung fu meat eating chick um, who wears the color green. So done. Um, Teddy. Okay. Teddy, who's kind of uh, annoying and quirky and a little bit mysterious. And also like a, a literal teddy bear. He is a bear. Um, but also a man inside a bear. Yes. Don't, yeah. Um, then there's Yosuke, who's kind of like your your traditional like um, dude bro, almost. But not like in a douchey way. Not, like... not, as, not as bad as um, Junpei. Oh, yeah. Junpei's definitely a dude bro. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Yosuke's like your tried and true, like he's your best friend, he's kind of yeah, a womanizer, partner. yeah, he's your partner, and basically like, comic relief, but not like outrageous comic relief. Mostly comic relief. Yeah, but like down to earth co comedy. Comedy yeah, not, because he's not so... not Teddy's com yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah, it's different, it's different. Then there's Rise, who is like larger than life, um... Idol. Uh, she's a, she's a music idol, so she's very flashy, very, um... Uh, more about the, her appearances, like just naturally, uh, like that is what she um, focuses on because of her career. So there's Risei. Then there's Naoto. Um, the who, Prince Detective. The Prince Detective, who is super analytical, super smart, super detective-y, um, and she's awesome. Uh, then there's Yukiko. Love her to death. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll invite her to Christmas every year. Um, she is this kind of soft-spoken um very bizarre sense of humor yeah kind of goofy but all, like but also like has strong familial um responsibilities and duties and she struggles with that a little bit so she's very like prim proper kind of um professional and she wears red that's important trust me um and then there's kanji our boy um mm -hmm. kanji's like uh He's a big kind of brutish guy who kind of wants to appear tough, but is kind of um, naive and almost kind of like sweet. Like he's a, he's a sweetheart, basically. Um, yeah. And so uh, those are the main seven. But then we have like um, a worst and best. So yes. our worst is the fox, who is basically like a, a side quest character that's just the worst. It, it, it It's really out of place and it's not great. So games that we don't like we would say, hey, that's a, that's like a Fox level game, which I think we've yeah. only given out to like one or two games. Yeah. Then there's Nanako, who is, she is basically your little sister in Persona 4. She's great. She's sweet. She's never done anything wrong. You can't criticize her. She's cherished forever. And so that's like the really good game. Yeah. That's the list. 
how would you rate this game, Graham? <laughs> um, <laughs> All that being said. Uh, like, I feel like it's, I'm probably leaning towards a kanji in that it, like, it has that kind of tough exterior, but also it's got a lot of depth and a lot of, um, like, it can be very, like, kind of almost comforting in a way, like, with the, like, how it is. I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe. Okay. How about for you? I'm going to give it a Nanako. Oh, wow. With the exclude, if, if, take out the brain suckers, it's a Nanako for sure. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a Nanako. Yeah, it's a Nanako. Okay. It's a, it's a Nanako wearing a fox, like fox socks. That's what it is. <sighs> One little bad thing, but you put your shoes on, you don't even notice it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I I really love this game. So, yeah. No, it is great. Huh. All right. Well, I think with that. Yeah, man, we talked a long time. Yeah, that's a good game. It's it. Yeah. And there's like, it's cool because there's so much to talk about about just like there's the story, and the gameplay and the environments, like the the. The environments and the lighting and all that kind of stuff oh. is still also so cool. Yeah. Um, and like it's it's always a mark of a good game where we've talked for an hour, and I'm still thinking up of things I want to say. Like the the way that even the way that they tell stories through enemy placement mm. is so cool. Like uh, I was trying to think, there was something in the DLC that made me think of that, but I can't remember it now. But even like uh, boss placement, like the fact that Martyr Ligarius is in front of where the vile bloods were, right? Um, or like, and the level design is fantastic. Like, I can still remember stuff like there's a part where um, you're going through these like dimly lit streets, and there's fog, and oh, one of the werewolves so just walks out of the fog. So good. That that one street, I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that one foggy street is probably my favorite section of the game. Yeah, like aesthetically. One thing I love about the game is its um its sound design, particularly oh. the the subtle and just like ominous cries of babies. <laughs> because and if you if you play the game, you know what I'm talking about. But babies take a there's a little bit of, of, of about the importance of young infants in the plot, and so um as you progress and get closer and closer to the end, the cries of this baby become more and more prominent. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost like you, you, when I first heard it, you don't realize what you're hearing. You're like, is that a baby? And then I think, yeah. is that my baby? <laughs> um, There's even strollers <laughs> around. Oh, that, that is also so creepy. There's strollers every which way. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people that get pregnant. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people that get pregnant and give birth. Yeah. Yeah. But no actual babies, though. Well, no human babies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is a a game. (laughs) Like, um, I remember, like, just going back to it and putting on headphones and all you hear is just screaming and and crying and then, like, hmm. Okay, <laughs> it's it can be an acquired oh, taste. Oh man, those wailing women in Bergenworth. Oh my goodness, I was watching you str- like stream that, and I'm like, oh. this is this is a little bit painful to listen to. Yeah, I know. Oh man, so much, so many good. Like that was horrifying, or like not even like, so like when you tacked and they scream or whatever, but. When you first enter, they're just washing the floors and just they're all weeping. Yeah. And so you just have women weeping. And then when you kill them, they scream. And then they go silent. And then you can, like, hear somebody else in the distance just weeping. It's just, there's so many, yeah, really, It's really, unsettling. It, it's very unsettling. It's, it's you know, it's fear in, in a different way than the rest of the game, right? It's like, they don't look scary, but they feel scary. They sound scary. It it's it it kind of touches on like the what what am I looking at? Because it's it's this human mm-hmm. it's this humanoid being that's 
washing the floor and weeping. Like, what the heck? Yeah, it was fun because, like, I can't do horror for most, like, a lot of stuff. Like, I don't watch horror movies and um, don't really play horror games. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of cool to experience that, like, almost like a side of horror, like that slice of horror. Yeah. Without actually having to get into the the other elements of horror. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and with that, I think we should probably stop. Um, unless you have anything else to add, Graham. No, I think we're good. Okay. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. We do appreciate you uh, tuning in. As always, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do um, subscribe if you like the episode. Tell a friend because that's how we grow. Um, have a look at our website. Um, connect with us. We'd love to hear game suggestions. Feedback uh, is always appreciated. And we will see you next, not next Monday, but the Monday after, or many Mondays ago, depending on when you were listening to this, um, with our next episode. So good night. Good night.